So uh, I just wanted to start by uh, introducing myself, as Karen has pointed out. My name is Chris. I come here uh, with my wife, Abby, and uh, we have three children. So we have a teenage daughter, and we have a two under two. So we have a boy and a girl under two, and that's great. Um, and also, because uh, we're doing our family trees, uh, I'm one of ten children. So uh, sort of big family, big life, and it's good. Um, just another thing I wanted to just raise quickly is Karen said that we were sharing testimonies. I didn't get that memo. I just got told, do you want to share? And so I prepared more along the lines of a message. And so today I want to start by talking about uh, Numbers 6. And towards the end of Numbers 6, we have this blessing. It says, tell Aaron and his sons, this is how you are to bless the Israelites. Say to them, the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine on you and be gracious to you. The Lord turn his face toward you and give you peace. So they will put my name on the Israelites and I will bless them. And I want to start by just having a look at the context of this scripture. Um, just, just in verse chapter 6 and 7 itself. Uh, before that, we have a vow that people took to become what's called Nazarites. Uh, that is the vow that Samson, uh, Samson took and which Samuel took. And then after that, we have instructions about the dedication of the temple. So it's kind of just squeezed in between two seemingly irrelevant things. But when we look at the wider context of the book of Numbers, the book of Numbers is a very interesting. It's a great time in the history of the Israelite people. We have the exodus out of Egypt has just taken place. We've had the people told that that generation won't enter the promised land and no one over 20 will, and then they go out into the desert. But what's interesting about this is that this is really the birth of a nation. Because when the descendants of Jacob went to Egypt, there was only 70 people. 400 years later, when they came out of Egypt, they say there was two or three million. So we're dealing with quite a different group of people who went into Egypt as opposed to who came out. There is also the idea that... Um, by allowing the people to go into the desert and to allowing that generation to die, we have the generation going into the promised land who weren't burdened by slavery, who didn't have that memory. But instead, we have a people who woke up every morning and found manna outside their tents. And so these are people that grew up knowing this relationship with God, knowing a God that provides, knowing a God that looked after them, knowing a God that wanted to, wanted to know them. And so we have this dance going on between the people of Israel and God. And I read that um, during, during Numbers, God is testing their hearts and, sorry, God is testing their endurance and their faithfulness, and they are testing God. And so it is in that setting, in that time, that we have 
this blessing handed down. So um, Aaron was in charge of the priests, and the priests were instructed to give this blessing to the people. And the thing I like about this blessing is that it is so beautiful and eloquent. It is so well-written, it is so poetic, but this is not something that mankind has come up with. This is something that God himself has written. The great poet has handed down and said, say this to each other. This is how I want you to bless my people. So, I mean, just have a look at my notes. Because we live in a different time, uh, the book of Peter says that as followers of Christ, we are priests. And I love that because that gives me permission, really, as someone who wants to follow the rules, to say this. And so I've chosen this version out of the NIV because I like the fact that it uses the word face twice. Other versions, most other versions use the word countenance. I just love the word face because I love the image that that creates and I love the simplicity of it. I think, I think for people that might not be so familiar with our faith, countenance can be a little bit odd. So that's why I've chosen this version. But I also am aware that I can say this. And so I encourage all of you to memorize this and to know this and have it in your back pocket and be ready to use it. Say it over your own life. Say it over your children. Say it over your spouse. Say it over your family. In our family, sometimes we get together and we have Christmas barbecue and we're the only Christians there. And every now and then they will say, Chris, would you like to bless the meal? Isn't this something that I should pull out? Because not only is it beautiful and eloquent, it's not confrontational. I'm not giving them a spiel. Instead, who doesn't want to hear God be gracious to you, God bless you, God turn his face towards you? Who doesn't want to hear those words? But it's bigger than that. Because in doing some study on this scripture, I, I saw that this is a reference to Acts Chapter 3, and towards the end of Acts chapter 3, we read this. And you are hearers of the prophets and of the covenant God made with your fathers. He said to Abraham, through your offspring, all peoples on earth will be blessed. When God raised up his servant, he sent him first to you to bless you by turning each of you from your wicked ways. And so if I am to say to my unsaved friends and family, the Lord bless you, be gracious to you, turn his countenance towards you. What I'm really saying is God save you. God give you the gift and bless you with salvation. And even when we say a quick God bless you, I think we should have in the back of our minds with salvation. Or if we're talking to someone who's saved, God bless you with himself. 
See? That's why I like these words, because there's so much in them. They're so powerful. They're so... thing. I think, you know, there's that great um, song at the moment with these exact words. And it's an awesome song. But actually, we've been putting these words into songs over and over. And so we should. I learnt this verse when I was a child from a song. And it's so good. We, we need to continue that. We need to keep getting it into our heart and into our minds. But I think also... When we sing, How Great Is Our God, or when we quote Jeremiah 29, 11, I know the plans I have for you to prosper you, not to harm you. Or when we quote God, so many of these verses that we pull out of the Bible that we know are good. The heavens declare the glory of God. Or... I cast all my cares upon you. I lay all of my burdens at your feet. These verses and others, they mean so much to us because we are a part of this faith. We know that it is our salvation that makes those words so precious to us. And it is our salvation that makes us brothers and sisters in Christ. But I think we miss a trick here because I think that culture that we talk about, this experience that we have, that is this rich, beautiful Christian life, I don't think we're good at sharing that. I think that when we come across the prospect of sharing our faith, we're intimidated. And we feel like we're sharing something with the people that don't want to hear it. And so I think we need to embrace more of this. We need to embrace this idea that what we have got matters. What we have got is a treasure. We don't just have the treasure of salvation. We have the treasure of each other. We have the treasure of Scripture. We have the treasure of all of these things that light these little sparks in our hearts and our souls. And when we, can, we, we need to know how to show that and to bring people in. But it's more than that. When we go to be with God, we, we say that so quickly. So think about this. The architect of the universe, the creator, the one that we revere, the one where during worship we are in awe of, has invited us to spend eternity with him. And I don't think we, can, we grasp that often. I think we see a separation. We see ourselves and you are so amazing and that is our place. But we're going to walk hand in hand with him for eternity. And so this Christian life, not only here, but also what we have to look forward to, it is so rich. There is so much to it. And this is what we need to be sharing with our unsaved friends and family. 
And I just I want to touch on prayer as well. I um I I come from grandparents who um, had incredible testimonies of coming to Christ themselves, and they were just the most faithful, diligent servants of God their entire days. And one of the things that they would do is they would get up every morning and they would pray for their children and their grandchildren and their great-grandchildren. When Grandma died, she died after Granddad, we counted 120 descendants. And there's more now. And every day, they would just go down the list down the list and you wouldn't believe the hard hearts that came to God did everyone get saved? no but they're not all dead yet but I think we need to take that desire to share and we need to have a burden as well for those people we need to keep coming back to the fact that they're lost. We need to work out how we can share our faith, how we can share this treasure that we have. We need to get past thinking it's a difficult conversation. We need to get to showing how great it is. And we need to do one other thing. Pray them. Pray in your children. Pray in your spouse. Pray in your parents and your siblings and your friends and your family and those people you love. Thank you.